Time to go to our text. We are uh, picking up where we left off, actually. It happens to be Matthew chapter 2. We're going to get a visit from some wise men from the East. And uh, we look forward to the truths that God has for us to encourage our hearts and our faith. Let's ask God's blessing. Now, Father God, a story that we have heard hundreds of times, but your word is alive. It's living. It's active. We could read it a thousand more times and there'll always be something new, something alive and wonderful, something that breathes life into us because it's God-breathed. It didn't come from any man. It doesn't have its origin on earth. But the word of God, living and breathing and sharp like a sword as you describe it, a good scalpel to go in and do the necessary work of healing and set our hearts free. And we pray toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of ways to get people's attention these days, especially if you're a business owner and you don't want to go unnoticed, right? I drive by a subway shop nearby, and oftentimes there's a, somebody employed to hold a sign and an arrow on the sidewalk. I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, hey, everyone, turn in here and turn in here. You're going to love that dancing. They got their earbuds in and the flipping and the twirling of the sign. And uh, it works. I mean, we, we don't want to. We want to pretend like we don't see them, but we're watching them, and we see the, the name Subway, and we know if we're hungry and we want a sandwich and it's around noon, we know there's a Subway in that little strip mall. Uh, so they've accomplished what they set out to do. Yes, all sorts of ways to make us look <laughs> and grab our attention. Uh, I got some slides to show you some creative ways people go about that. (laughs) Now, come on, what does that big inflatable gorilla have to do with buying a new truck? You know, they would say everything (laughs) because you wouldn't notice us without the help of the gorilla, right? And then there's this other one hard to miss. Yeah, you know, you look up in the sky, and what are you thinking? You're thinking of, you know, the chicken wrap, the number eight, you know, or whatever. Uh, And that's their intention, you know. And then there's this dude here that you see everywhere, you know. And I, I love to say, nice try, and I walk by without noticing them, but I'm noticing them. And, uh, you know, even not to notice them is to notice them. And so, yeah. And there's one company that when it comes to buying your next set of tires, they want you to think of them, right? There it is. I mean... Why buy any other kind of tire? Unless, of course, you're a Benedetti. What am I thinking? (laughs) That just in, folks. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for that. And uh, that's what we do. When something's important, we don't want anybody uh, to miss out on something that we have to offer, especially since it's a self-interest and personal gain at stake. But something happened, didn't it? 2,000 years ago, something very important and someone with a capital S wanted to make sure that nobody missed out. (laughs) And not because of motives of self-interest or personal gain, but of motives for others to gain, to be blessed, to be out of harm's way, to know the purpose of life, the past death and the judgment, to fare well and to live forever. Yeah, 
It was the Lord God. And he has his ways of grabbing some attention with a birth announcement there in Bethlehem that says, don't miss it. Don't miss this. The word that was in the beginning, that was with God. The word was God. And the word that was God became flesh and blood and was born into this world that we call the God-man, the creator taking on human form for a purpose to rescue his people from their sins, to suffer and die, to live a perfect life for us, to die the perfect death on our behalf, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's God's heart that none perish that all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so, yeah, you know, with unlimited resources like God has, he doesn't need a, a blow-up gorilla, you know, or a Goodyear blimp. He's got a star, you know, he's made the stars. And if he wants to utilize one for a birth announcement, that's his ability to do so. And so he's underscoring this truth that something big has happened. Please don't miss out. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, as the uh, song, the Christmas carol goes. And so this morning, Matthew 2, the star over Bethlehem, the wise men who followed it, the king who opposes it, and the true king in that cradle who comes to save the souls of men. Starting at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, well, I lead with this question. God is vying for the attention of the entire world. You see it from cover to cover. You see it in the great tribulation. There's an angel toward the end of the great tribulation, what the world calls Armageddon. There's an angel that traverses the international skies, preaching the everlasting gospel. Even then, <laughs> when the world has really crossed over the line, God is still reaching out. Don't miss it. Don't miss out. And if anyone perishes, they have to kind of leap over the bruised and broken, battered body of the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that we wouldn't have to experience that kind of tragedy. And so... He's vying for the attention of the world. I just have a question to lead in. Does he have yours? Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Wow, well, what we're going to do this morning is walk through the, the story, pause, and kind of glean some insights as we go, something we do. So, note takers, the Magi come seeking, right? News has gotten out what God's up to. You know, he so 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, and some wise men got a hold of some of them. I'll explain how that works later. And um, here they come, and it's a real paradox because Israel has many rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, scholars, scribes, and priests, as we'll see. They're well-trained and well-studied, and they know the Hebrew scriptures, and, and, and yet they're going to seem clueless. Well, they appear to be clueless. Uh, they know way more 
than they care to admit, like a lot of unbelievers even today. Uh, but here, Gentile visitors from modern-day Iraq, I'll explain that, come. Gentile just means non-Jewish people. It means the nations. It's, it's a word that means nations. And here they come as a shout-out that God's intention was always the world. Yes, he's born related to the Jews through Mary, blood. He doesn't have an earthly father. But he's, he, he appears into this world as a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy to Jewish people. But it's the Gentiles that come first. And so you'll see that God's always had his eye on the world. And so when God leads those who are open, who are searching for truth, whoever they are, whatever they've done, whatever their background but for those who harden their hearts and turn a blind eye, there's no spiritual guidance provided. One writer said, you know, uh, how do you lead someone where they have no desire to go? And so the first stop, as we see Jerusalem, capital of um, Israel, headquarters, they go straight to the top. And the star just kind of led them there because God has a purpose in all of this. Who are these guys? And how in the world did they ever figure out that Jesus was being born? Well, the Magi, they're not kings. If you get your theology from Hallmark, you, you, you may be in for some surprises when you read the Bible. Uh, they are not kings, but they are dignitaries. And so, yeah, close. Um, they are often translated as wise men. The word really is associated with the astronomers and the philosophers, the spiritual advisors that served foreign kings. We see this in the Old Testament. In fact, would you be surprised to know and recall that Daniel is called the chief of the Magi. He's called chief of the Magi in Babylon. Now, how did Daniel, the prophet, that we read about in the Old Testament, get to Babylon. And that's a good story because 500 years earlier, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego become the Magi for the kings of Babylon, the king of Persia. And God does amazing things. How they got there was in about 586 B.C. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of a modern-day Iraq to come in and take captive the best and the brightest and most of Jerusalem uh, to, into exile into modern-day uh, Iraq. And so Baghdad is really the place of the headquarters of where they were taken. And there... They did amazing things. And Daniel got a vision for the whole end of the world. And in fact, he was given the information for when the Messiah would come, when the Messiah would die, and when the Messiah would return again. And he writes a mathematical equation in Daniel chapter 9 that if you do the math, you can figure it all out. In fact, when the disciples say, hey, say, so when are you coming back, Lord? Tell us the time and the seasons. He refers to Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel has the timeline of redemptive history right there. Those scrolls remained in Iraq 
through the centuries. And you want to know why? They valued them because they valued Daniel. Are you kidding me? Daniel was famous in the entire world. Let me show you a map of where Daniel was reigning and ruling with the kings. Here's the map. He was an important person. So you will know why the scrolls were worth keeping. They were worth keeping because Daniel was famous. And so Daniel was the number one in charge under the king because of all the revelations God had given him and God had promoted him up there. And so back to the text, we have these scrolls there and they were were worth keeping because not only did they talk about this king that would be born in Bethlehem, but they also talked about his nature being eternal and being equal to God, that he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And so, of course, these prophecies were like Daniel and the Holy Spirit prophesying about a king that would be born not just to Israel, but to uh, all the whole human race. And so that is why it was worth keeping the scrolls, doing the math, searching the skies, and making the thousand-mile trek from the east, Babylon, to Jerusalem. And so the king who was born was more than just a king. He was almighty God. But none of this amazed uh, Herod. The only thing that got stuck in his craw was that there was someone born a king. And so we're going to see this now as we continue on to the story. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, I would say he was disturbed before he heard it, but <laughs> I mean it in a different way. Now, uh, not only was he disturbed, but interestingly, Jerusalem's all upset too. Upset, disturbed, troubled is the word. Verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, the experts, the religious teacher of the law, the law is a nickname for the Bible. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. Come on, you guys, you must know. And they respond rather quickly, don't they? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet Micah has written in chapter 5 and verse 2 of Micah's book. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And Micah will go on to say, and not just Israel, but he will reign and rule the world forever. Now I wonder who he's talking about there. So this upset this uh, wannabe king. And so Herod is not born a king. He was made a king. And actually he made himself king through horrible manipulations and bribery, extortion, murder, kind of like today in some parts of the world. Uh, Herod the Great, he was a great architect. If you go to Israel and, and go before the Western Wall, that's under his oversight. He was a great architect, a great builder. He restored the second temple to where you can see parts of it today. But instead of being called Herod the Great, commentators say he should be called Herod the Great Sinner because he was a murderous thug. Anybody that threatened his sovereign rule was executed. 
And so one writer said it was said it was safer to be one of Herod's sows than one of his sons. He killed three of his sons. He had them executed. He had his wife executed and her mother executed, all written up in the history books by Josephus. And so he styled himself as a king. He got there as a usurper, a wannabe. And here's the deal. Here's what's stuck in his craw. He hears through scripture that there's somebody who's credentialed, who doesn't have to be raised and vetted out as a prince. He's born with the goods. He's the real deal. And he's born that way. Herod, he doesn't come from the line of the kings as Joseph did. We didn't need Joseph to be related to the kings, but he is. Mary's related to the kings as well. Jesus is in the line of the kings. But who's Herod in the line of? He's in the line of Esau. He is called an Edomite. And Esau, for those who know the Bible, know that he's a bad guy. He's the guy who sold his birthright, who said, I don't want any blessing from God. I don't want a relationship with God. I'm not interested in the future when you die and go to heaven and all of that. All I care about is sexual immorality and feeding my pleasures and my passions. And he sold everything for a hot bowl of red lentil stew. And when he did that, he got the nickname Red, which is Edom. In Hebrew. And he went rejected and off as an outcast down south, south and south, and he started a nation called Edom for red. And this Herod the Great is an Edomite and traces his bloodline back to Esau, who's only interested in temporal things, who won't bow the knee to God, who won't abdicate the throne of self because that would be asking to bow the knee to another, capital A, and all those in the spiritual lineage of Esau live for today, live for their passions, live, for, live to reign and rule, to be the captain of their own destinies. It's the same thing, spiritually related to Esau. And that is why he's so disturbed is because he's the usurper. And so here's Jesus. He's got in God's authority and will and design. And yeah, the angel said it's great joy to all people. But you know what's funny to me? You know who the ones who uh, find it joyful are the outcasts. The shepherds are outcasts. And the outsiders those Gentiles are outside the covenant of salvation to Israel. And who are the ones receiving this great uh, news with great joy? It's the outcasts and it's the outsiders. It's the same old story. That's how it usually goes. That's the good news. So the fraud is disturbed. And interestingly, all of Jerusalem, Herod, I already said there's a rival on the scene. He's born credentialed. And then he hears his star. That would have freaked me out, too. I mean, who has a star when you're a baby? We saw his star. Well, of course, because Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, all things were created by him. Yeah, he's in the form of a human baby. But watch out, this is the incarnation of the Most High God, the second person of the Godhead. He speaks in the universe left into existence, and by that baby's power... Everything holds together. And so, yeah, he's got a star. 
We saw his star. They were right. It belongs to him. The Lord created the stars and he used one on the night of his own birth. Go figure. God can do whatever he wants and he's a great big multitasker at that. (laughs) Now, you know, why is all Israel upset? They see the star. They've got the scriptures. They've learned the scriptures all their lives. These are his people. Why are they disturbed? Because first of all, it's an entourage. It's not three wise men. It's a whole bunch of them. We get three wise men because there are three gifts, but it doesn't say there were three. Why would the whole city be in an uproar over two guys on a camel? (laughs) They're dignitaries. They're wise men. They've got treasures. The word treasure there. They don't stop at Walmart and pick up some socks. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you like that one. This is a big deal. And why wouldn't the Jews come out and say, look at the star. We've got the wise men. What are we doing? We're his people. These are Gentiles. What are we letting the Gentiles lead the way? They go back to sleep. Why? Because a king implies what? Bowing the knee. Status quo, gone. Oh, if, if, if God enters the context of my life, things have got to change. So let's just go back to sleep, spiritually speaking, and maybe this will all go away. Now, for those who did receive with joy, man, because they, they figure out a heaven-sent king, well, that, that's a king I would bow to. A king that would die on a cross for me so that I wouldn't have to be judged. I could, I could serve a king like that, a king of love, a king of goodness, a king who's got my back, a king who knows every head every head on my hair, <laughs> every hair on my head or lack thereof. He, he knows and he cares and he loves and he made me and he loves me and he has a place for me in heaven. I'll serve that king. I'll serve that king. But sadly, others, while some are delighted, others are disturbed, like it says here. And so um, the plot is hatched there in step four as we walk through. Uh, step one of the plot, uh, first find the child. Where is he so I could get my hands on him, right? So he enlists God's supposing wise men, the chief priests, the teachers. Um, every one of those guys, every one of them will be at Jesus' trial. They'll have to think back, oh, this is the guy with the star. This is the guy with the star. See, there's so many ways God just wants to get through to somebody and say, man, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And so uh, he, he has this thing. I imagine it like a movie, funny, you know, uh, they get wake, <laughs> wakened up. Uh, abruptly, uh, huge commotion, foreign dignitaries, you know, with their valuables. And by the way, they didn't travel without armed guards. And so there's armed guards and dignitaries and all of this. And they, Herod calls the supposed religious leaders who <laughs> calls them and says, uh, you guys come to the situation room because we got a situation. <laughs> You guys know about your Messiah, our Messiah? Who is he, the Christ and all of that? Where will he be born? Oh, wait a second. Let us do some research. No. Oh, uh, give us a couple days. We'll dig into the scrolls. Oh, no, no. There's none of that. Because uninterested unbelievers 
always know way more than they let on to knowing. They know exactly where he is and he, they're not interested. Oh, we can tell you all about how to get there. We're not going. But we got the knowledge, which is condemnable. God judges us. We know. We decide. I could point somebody else there. I could tell you all about it. But me, myself, I'm not going. And so you can lead a horse to water. And in this case, you could lead a soul to living water. But you cannot make them drink. And it's right there, and he's leading, and he's trying. And if anyone perishes, it will not because it be God's fault or anybody else's, but their own, because he led them as far as possible, and yet they refuse for some reason. And so you guys know about the Christ. Where will he be born? And they bust out Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in a heartbeat that essentially says, though... Though you, excuse me, though you are insignificant little town of Bethlehem. Oh, this is going to put you on the map. This is the paraphrase. Oh, this is, somebody's going to be born in you that will make you go from Katati, all right? <laughs> uh, this is the idea. Katati, famous for what? Accordion festival? You know, come on. Uh, now, the savior of the world is going to be born in a Katati-like town. And Micah, 500 years before, is saying, whoa, listen up, little insignificant town of Bethlehem. Listen, they're going to be singing songs about you for 2,000 years because from you will come the ruler of not only shepherding Israel, but as I mentioned, who will sit on a throne for eternity as God's son, God's king. And so this is an amazing thing. And so uh, I don't know if they mentioned uh, that he would also be God in uh, the flesh or not. So yeah, no massive crowd, no massive conversion, nobody gawking at the star. They all go back to bed. And you know, there's something, there's a thing about unbelievers who are not interested or so they say, even though they know. They know the claim of the gospel. And there's uh, some people respond and you see the hostility right there, right? And others are really nice about it. They just go back to bed. And at the end of the story, they say, what? We didn't do anything, right? So it's called passive aggressive hostility. And so what they do is they kill you with kindness and they write you out of the picture. And there's nothing more ruthless than to never speak the name of that person again and to pretend that they don't exist, and to live your life, oh, oh, like you, you brought yourself into existence, that you gave birth to yourself, and you invented yourself, and you sustain yourself, and your, your heartbeat beats because you make it beat, and that you've done all of your income on your own, and when you die, you'll handle it, you'll take care of yourself, because you were basically a good guy and all of that stuff. Well, that's... That's the way some unbelievers express their hostility, that they don't go after God with aggression. They just pretend he doesn't exist. That's why you don't see any Jews following. Maybe a handful, but nothing more than that. The gospel is a tough sell. It's a tough sell, right? It's a tough sell because what it says, bottom line, King Herod's problem is the problem. 
you want me to get off the throne and make room for another king to run my life? I got to do what he says all the time. I can't do and run my own life. That's the bottom line. And that's why people passively aggress or aggress passively. <laughs> that's the bottom line. So step one, get the whereabouts of Jesus. And then step two, move in for the kill. Uh, verses seven and eight. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said in a command, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's uh, a big lie, right? So armed with this new information about Bethlehem, he calls for a private meeting secretly. Well, of course, one writer said, uh, why, of course, a private meeting? Deeds of evil are most often done under the cloak of secrecy. The problem with these people who do things under the cover of darkness and think nobody's ever going to find out. The problem is in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that God will judge the secrets of men's hearts on that great day. Now, the gospel is good news for us because our secrets and our sins have already been judged. They can't be judged again because they were judged on Christ, the baby who grows up, the God-man. And he becomes those secret sins and pays for them. He cries out, it is finished, paid in full. So on that great day when, when Christ sees us, there's no secrets to judge. They were all publicly displayed on Christ. And he took the beating. So much so, the Bible says you couldn't recognize him as a human being. From the swelling and the beating and the bruising. No surprises. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to stand before God, and so are you, O believer, with the gospel, because every last shameful, ugly, terrible, wicked thing I've ever thought, said, or did has been openly taken, put on Christ, paid for. And when I stand there, I'm scot-free, as if I've never sinned. That's what the word justify means. We are justified by faith as a gift that came at Christmas time. That's pretty good news. Amen. <laughs> Now, all right, so he has this Edomite king has a question and he has a request. Oh, I want to know exactly when you saw the sign of this star. Month, date, and year. He has to know how much trouble is it going to be to get rid of this guy? How old is he? What am I dealing with? So that's what he wants to know. And then he says, oh, and I want you to go make, oh, the, the Greek is careful scrutiny. Uh, it, it means to uh, spare no expense. Find out, search diligently. And wouldn't surprise me if money's involved or a chariot or do you want an armed escort? Find him as soon as you do make haste. Report back so I can worship this king too right? Now you guys brought the gift of gold, but I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to bring a gift of iron in the form of an executioner's sword. That's my gift to the author of life. I would rather kill the author of life than abdicate the throne of self-rule. Yeah, that's bad. Let's finish up, see how it goes. 
<laughs> By the way, Jesus wins. All right. <laughs> After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, boom, back in the east, went ahead of them until it stops over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house, not the manger, Hallmark, the house. They weren't at the manger. They went to the house. This is a few months later. Apparently, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. That's a big word. They didn't just stop at Walmart and pick something up and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and Myrrh, the word there really is frankincense, of course. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. And so we conclude now with some more uh, pleasant things to think about now. So Jesus promised, remember, seek and you shall find, and find these seekers do. And more than a little happy, these wise men are. And so verse 10, they're overjoyed, which is a very weak sauce translation, overjoyed. The new NIV, it's sometimes disappointing. Overjoyed? You know, the King James nails it because it's word for word. King James is a little awkward and hard to understand, but it's a word for word. NIV is a thought for thought, which by and large, I think thought by thought is a lot more readable and more understandable. But once in a while, the word for word nails it. And here's where... The boundaries of language is strained by how happy they were. And here's what it says literally. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's a lot of joy. (laughs) Okay, that's straining the language a little bit. And that's why uh, NIV editors say, well, let's just clean that up. Let's just say what it is. They were overjoyed. But you're losing it. You need to say they were out of their minds with excitement and joy and ecstasy. They were beside themselves. That's really what it means. They were stunned with joy and happiness. Why? Well, obviously, there's the star that they kind of lost track of for a while. And so God just says, here you go. I needed you to stop here for his own redemptive purposes. And now they see it again. And, and they're so excited. And then it stands. What is this star, first of all? That's amazing. It goes over the house. Where are all the Jews? Where are they? My word. Guilty. Guilty as charged on the day of judgment. Oh, so many Americans, so many kids who grew up in Christian homes. Oh, they know so much. But why didn't you turn out? Why didn't you follow through? Why didn't you bow the knee? Because you didn't want to give up your sovereign control of your own life. Was that worth losing your soul over? Some people delight in knowing that there's a God who loves them, who has full knowledge of the future and has our backs and wants our best interests. What's wrong with yielding to a king like that? I don't mind yielding to a king who would shed his own blood for me and make me a co-heir with his son 
and say, you can, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, I'm going to yield to a God like that. But not everybody is wise. Not everybody is humble. And so we see here this great joy. And, and I think they're out of their minds with joy because they realize this. Personally, individually, they're thinking to themselves, God is making that star move for me out of all the world. Their own people don't get it. But for some reason, God showed me favor that I would come out of darkness, out of a land filled with idols and terrible spiritual disasters over there. But me, <laughs> narrows the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. How did I get the favor of God that I would see and be drawn and bow the knee and come to find life? That's what's really floating their boats there. The commentaries are uh, also note um, on purpose. Uh, Matthew is making Jesus the star of the story. He mentions now uh, child and mother together five times coming up in the paragraphs. And every single time it's child and mother, which is uncharacteristic of writing. And it would have caught everybody's attention. It should be mother and child if they were writing traditionally. But it's always child, mother, and putting Mary in the background on purpose. And one commentator said, listen, Mary's in the background on purpose because she calls in Luke chapter 1, she sings out praise. And she says, she calls God her savior. So she who needs a savior cannot herself save anybody else. She's looking to her son who she delivered to deliver her one day as Mary Did You Know goes, right? That song, I just borrowed that there. <laughs> and so how dreadful a thing for Mary had she ever realized in her life that millions and millions would look to her and worship her and pray and call out to her. How sad how grievous to her when she called out, God is my Savior. And so they're overjoyed. They find Jesus in the house, as I said. F.F. Um, Bruce says, you know, it makes a nice Christmas card to have the wise men at the manger scene and all of that. Uh, but he, F.F. Uh, Bruce says, uh, beautiful but baseless in the scriptures. So um, a few months later, they arrive and they're, they're probably hanging out there because they're waiting until Jesus gets a little bit older before they return to Nazareth, right? And so Joseph is from there. The way they ended up in Bethlehem was a miraculous divine intervention to get them there to fulfill prophecy because they're not from Bethlehem, but Joseph is in David's line. And David, King David, was born in Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem just because of the Caesar Augustus uh, census. And while they're there to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah has to be born in the house of bread because he's the bread of heaven, of course. And he's laid in a manger, which is the word to eat, where you can still see it in French. It's spelled M-A-N-G-E-R, manger, to eat. Italians, manja, manger. 
So he, the bread of heaven comes down. He says he's the bread of heaven. He's born in the house of bread and laid in to eat, the eater. Jeez, I wonder what God was trying to say there. <laughs> I wonder, what's the matter with you? <laughs> we didn't know God was Italian. But it must be in the Greek there somewhere. Yes, indeed. And so let's finish with the gifts, okay? But um, you do realize that the gifts preach the gospel. They tell you exactly who he is and what he came to do. Gold, royalty, God, deity, right? And unbeknownst to the Magi, they're going to need a little quick gash in about 48 hours. Oh, yeah, because Herod is going to bring his iron gift to Bethlehem. So an angel has to wake Joseph up and say, get up, move to Egypt. What? How am I going to do that? I don't have any money. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. You have more than enough. You're going to be able to move. You're going to be able to relocate. You're going to be able to sustain yourself for three or four years in Egypt, which happened until King Herod dies. And when he dies, you can come back. But you'll have enough finances to get you through because God knows what we need. And he always provides their gold. Frankincense and myrrh, a shout out to this little baby who is the God man, who will grow up to be our high priest, right? And so... Let me show you a picture of the altar of incense. It's just the altar with the smoke going up. Right. Okay, good. That's a good one. Now, the altar in the, in, of incense in the temple, the curtain behind the altar is the curtain that separated them from the Holy of Holies. There in the holy place there, you see the priest there. Now, the frankincense was put in as the major ingredient in the altar of incense. And what it represented was the prayers of intercession that, that, that ask God, who is behind and separated from us, to be merciful to us because we're sinners. And so that was before his presence was the prayer of intercession. And what is the intercession all about? Do you see the four corners sticking up? They called it the horns of the altar. They would put the blood of the sacrifice that was done outside the temple. And the high priest would bring the blood in and put it on the four corners. So because there was somebody who was confessed onto their heads, though it be livestock our sins and that's what they did they brought out let's say a lamb and they confessed they laid their hand on the head of the animal and said i'm a sinner and imputed their sin onto the innocent animal and right there and that blood was taken and put on this altar and then the fragrance of frankincense would go up to say there's been a death on the behalf of the sinner but it was temporal and the blood of bulls and goats and lambs can't take care of the matter forever. But it's frankincense. And then the high priest. The high priest had to be anointed and set apart with fragrant oil. And the number one ingredient 
in the high priest's anointing is myrrh. Surprise. So what happened there is the high priest would offer the sacrifice and bring the blood in, right? But he had sins of his own. So he had to do this double thing and make an offering for himself. So he couldn't really be the intercessor. What are we going to do? This is all temporary. Well, we're going to need a high priest who is perfect without his own sins, who could offer what? Not the blood of a lamb, but his own blood. So the perfect high priest, Jesus, offers the perfect intercessory prayer because he will lay down his life on behalf of sinners. That's what he was born on Christmas to do. And the gifts tell you exactly what he's going to do. And will it not blow your minds to know where you get myrrh from? You get myrrh from a plant that looks like this. That's myrrh. Now, the high priest was anointed on his head with the oil of myrrh. And this high priest, your high priest, was also anointed with myrrh. But only not in its resin form, in its branch form, thorns on his head. Now how is this all possible to knit this together like some human being throughout thousands of years the story just knits together and it all lines up not even they know the gospel they're preaching with these gifts the high priest who is the fragrant intercessory prayer because he himself is the sin offering and it's his blood because he's been anointed with the myrrh that has been given to him there preaching the gospel. Yes, great joy to all people, but at great price. And the baby grows up to be the sin offering for the sins of the world and hangs on a tree, a cross that says, Father, forgive them. He's interceding. And God the Father says, I will. For whosoever comes to you, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, if they live in Iraq and they're far off, or they're a shepherd who nobody loves and they're considered unclean, whosoever, just come and connect with you. I will answer your prayer and forgive them of all of their sins. That's a Merry Christmas. That is a Happy New Year. That is a Happy Forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, that though these stories that seem so trivialized and commercialized and without meaning behind them, God, such truth power change our hearts and remind us this isn't a game this is important stuff so we thank you Lord for your truth that sets our hearts free help us to be wise like the magi humble like the shepherds and nothing 
like King Herod. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.